Welcome to The Coaching Circle, a podcast where we explore the world of coaching, business and personal evolution with me, NLP Master Trainer, Coach and your host, Tony Everard. Inspiring conversations and deep dives into every aspect of your coaching and wellbeing business with experts in their field to help you stand out as the expert in yours. Get ready, let's go. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about addiction, stigma, and how we are all addicts to our emotions. There are so many misconceptions and loads of stigmatism around addiction, and chances are someone you know is suffering from or has suffered from addiction at some point in their life. So if you want to understand what addiction really is and how to help people move through Today's guest is by far one of the most knowledgeable people I have come across uh, in this field and I'm super excited to have him joining me and you're definitely going to want to listen to this to the very end. So Danny Lloyd, the man who took the I out of addict and put the Y in you. After working for a decade on the front line of addiction clinically and living a life inside his own addictions, he grew tired of the Western practice. And while working on himself holistically, he discovered coaching through NLP and hypnotherapy to pivot and change lives. He's a co-founder of Inside Out Coaching and Consultancy Collective, and they are a social enterprise here to disrupt, dispute, and inspire men, young and old, teaching them emotional intelligence so addiction doesn't steal their futures because they see a world independent from dependence. Wow. Danny Lloyd, welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. That was quite the introduction of all of the things. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad that we met. Yes. Very chance meeting that we had, but it must have been the universe, right? Absolutely. So, so Danny, uh, you know, as you know, you and I uh, met quite recently, and uh, and I happen to be looking for people to come on my show who uh, who are really making a big difference in the world. And uh, and you know, there you were in talking about addiction, helping people in the addiction space, which is something that is really close to my heart. I've um, been very close to people uh, that uh, have currently are suffering with addiction and have in the past and uh and so I'm I'm really honored and glad that you're here to be to be speaking about this today so I would love you to just tell us a bit about uh you know your your background and how it is that you become to start your own business as a coach and working in the addiction space yeah well that's um it's it's a bit of a it's it sounds like a bit of a movie. I, I don't tell the story in depth that much because I don't really feel most people would believe it. But uh, look, I um, <clears throat> I grew up on a, a little tiny island in the middle of the English Channel, surrounded by very um, rough waters and very isolated, um, especially in the storms, which is quite fitting really because it's almost like a metaphor for my life to be honest and yeah growing up in Guernsey in the Channel Islands um, although it was a very uh, kind and and warm place to grow up um, not everybody that grows up in a small community is made to live in a small community and I felt most of my life like I didn't uh, I didn't fit in I didn't know where I fitted and um i actually kind of felt like a whale inside a pigeon cage that's how trapped i felt and it's not anyone's fault 
It was just that uh, I guess I was born for bigger uh, things than to be inside of a small island. I grew up with a beautiful family. Um, my mum was a single parent. My grandpa, my grandma, or nanny and papa, they, they raised me alongside mum. Mum was out working sometimes for three and four jobs in the 80s to support me and look after me. Um, I was raised in a home that didn't have a lot financially, but we were billionaires in love. Um, and and um, I'm very blessed to have had such an amazing um, upbringing, um, which will make sense after uh, once you hear. Um, anyway, kind of around about the mid-teens, after being bullied a fair bit of school and just having quite an addiction, when I actually look back at it, I actually think that I had an addiction beginning in my life, uh, born from emotions and overthinking. And I think my first addiction was probably food. Yeah. Um, I was grossly overweight. I was like 160 kilos at my worst or at my heaviest. And uh, uh, not great, didn't feel good in my skin. Um, my grand, <laughs> I, from about the age of 11, Mum got me into rugby from about seven or eight years old to try and give me something to do, um, social things. And uh, to give you an idea of the growth spurts and the size of me versus everyone else in each part of my life at school, my mother, on the first time I debuted for Guernsey at under 12s, I believe it was, um, before the lead up to the actual kickoff of the game, Guernsey versus Jersey. It's a big island rivalry between the two islands. Um, the parents of the opposition kicked up a big fuss while we were warming up and wouldn't let the game start unless my mother went home and gathered a birth certificate to prove that I was under 12 because they have fear for their kid's life. I was just... Anyway, you are quite a, like a, you're a very tall man. I know I was quite when you when I first met you, I was like, you had like this kind of Dolph Lundgren kind of <laughs> impression on me. I was just like, whoa, who is this yeah. dude? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm six foot four or for Aussies, 193.5 centimeters tall. So pretty much Buddy Walker, uh, Buddy, Buddy Walker, is that his name? What's his name? Not Walker, Buddy Franklin. Buddy Franklin is about ah. the same. So his his build, weight, and height is about the same as me now. Right. Um, yeah. into, into comparison, because obviously when we do these kind of, um, you know, these 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 chats over videos, it's hard to quantify the size. And a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people, including my um, my teacher that taught me all of my NLP stuff, Reg Mahata, a lot of them, a few have met me since because we did all of our training like this, right? Yeah, you have actually physically met me, and they actually go, "You don't look big on the camera." Like you, I didn't imagine you to be what you are, and so I get but, that same thing because I'm five foot nine, which is quite yeah, tall for a female. Yeah, you're, and you're, I meet people, and they're like, "Wow, you're tall." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you, you are. You're, you're quite tall. I noticed that when we met the other day. Yeah. Um, for a lady, anyway. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so even though I was very tall, it's still a lot of weight. Um, and I think I think at under 12s, I recognized, I, I feel like I was tipping six foot. I would have been about 110 kilos. So it's, mm. you know. That food you know, addiction is, is definitely something that 
it is more common than what people think. Yeah, 100%. And it's only the other day when I was working with my public speaking coach and we were extrapolating the story that I'm putting together to, to do a TEDx talk on, that we went through the, some stuff and I actually just, for the first time, really twigged that I guess the addictions all started with the food stuff, right? Mm. And, and um, yeah, anyway, so by the time I got in my mid-teens, uh, after kind of being pushed around and never sticking up for myself at school, kind of fell in with the wrong right crowd. Like, yes, okay, I can say they were the wrong crowd, uh, or some of them. Um, some of them are still my friends to this day, but I, none of them were the wrong crowd. They were my, they were my tribe at the time, and they served a purpose, and they, they were, uh, they were um, you know, they were a season in my life, and they were a reason in my life, and they gave me um, a place to feel like I belonged for once. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of them were from quite a disadvantaged background and, and you know, quite violent, some of them, a few of them, um, you know. And now I've got my, my close friends uh, weren't so much like that, but a few of the other fellas were. So anyway, I started getting into a little bit more of a rough and tumble kind of lifestyle and um, I, I wanted to fit in. And I got stuck, well, most of my life I've been stuck in the goop, which is good opinions of other people. And um, I guess started with cigarettes, smoking cigarettes, and then drinking alcohol. So alcohol is very accepted uh, in the UK, but especially Guernsey. Like, it's just like a thing, right? Yeah. I Uh, I often say, like, alcohol is the one drug you have to explain why you don't take. Because I stopped drinking, you know, a year or two ago. Yeah. And you have to explain why you don't drink. Yeah, it's very odd, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very odd when you think about it. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I was already, already drinking from probably about 14, and then by the time I was 15, I think I was 15 or 16, I started smoking weed. Well, actually, it's not weed in Guernsey because we can't get weed there because there's massively high um, – it's kind of like the barley of, of the UK. So you get caught with, like, any drugs in Guernsey – it's like you serve less for, for murder than you do drugs. It's, it's, wow. cra- it's crazy. So you couldn't get weed, so it was hash um, because it's, it's less odorless or less odor. Um, anyway, smoking that and then started going into club scenes. Bearing in mind I'm an 80s child, so, you know, uh, mid to late 90s I was in the club scene, which was like the peak of the existence of trance music and ecstasy and, and, and that club era you know, Carl Cox and Ministry of Sound and all that stuff. Yeah, I know it well. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I started getting into to ecstasy and, and, and whatnot, and, and from there it was just everything, you know, party prescriptions, cocaine, ketamine, speed, not methamphetamines, crystal meth, just, just base speed. So all that kind of experimental stuff, or technically experimental, but I, I started dealing after a while and, and I was – getting into the cocaine and all this rubbish, whatever. I got arrested well, that's four or five times in one year and my mum pulled me in and was like, yeah, um, I hate to do this to you. I was already living out of home from quite young. She said, um, you've got two choices. You need to choose one of them. I'm not giving you a third. Um, you either need to go join the army uh, or you need to go traveling. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in a box. Concrete, wooden, your choice, but that's where it's headed. Mm. And I'm not sitting by and watching my only child do this. So you need to get out of this island and you need to figure out 
something and I was like, there's no way I'm going to the army. So I'll go traveling. And I guess that was the start of, start of the, uh, the renaissance to yeah. where I am today. Although there was still a lot of, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of wobbles from that yeah. point onwards. Well, and, and that, that journey that you've just described there, Danny, with a, you know, I started off with, you know, drinking and then weed and then, you know, getting into these kind of party drugs and then dealing and stuff like that. You know, that's not, uh, I think it's really important for people to know that's not that uncommon, right? Yeah. Like th- there's, a, there's this whole kind of, um, you know, culture where that's that's reality, right? Yeah. Like you and I both know that. I've I've danced around the edges of that, you know, in my past as well. And um, and it's it it's full on, right? Like yeah. it's not just, and I think this is an important thing for people to know, right? It's not just like there's just these kind of, you know, evil, bad people out there doing this drug stuff. Like it's everywhere. Yes, it it, it is, and it's prevalent wherever you go and and you know there's actually many many more addictions out there than the ones we go straight to that are illegal drugs or alcohol or cigarettes you know especially Mm. in this especially in this day and age like there's people now starting to have to enter rehabilitation centers for mobile phones Um, there's there's such a thing as digital dementia now right where we rely on technology and devices so much we are not actually using our brains the way we used to to remember things, and we use robots and technology and AI to remember everything. And so, if you don't use your brain because your brain's like a muscle, um, then it's the same as you don't go to the gym um, or exercise of some description. You don't stay fit. You you get yeah. you get pudgy and soft and and, and, and aching and your joints and everything. Um, you know, so it's the same with your brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you're bang on the money there, especially with social media and the phones and things like that. You have to, the amount of time that some people spend on their phone, you have to wonder how many of their thoughts are actually their own. Uh, Absolutely. The amount of people that I come across on a daily basis, both professionally and personally, um, that are crippled and I mean absolutely folded in half, crippled with anxiety because they are living in either the past or the future because of the present moment, watching other people's lives. And, and, and you know, another thing that really irks me is that everyone is an expert online, right? So, like, you're listening to people and you literally, uh, because you're watching it's actually ironic social media has just replicated mainstream media so anything you watch on mainstream media you decide is true right just like anything you read on the internet a lot of people decide is true so now it's like anything you follow on social media decides true and there is so many charlatans and, and absolute trash and rubbish um out there and, and we buy into it right like yeah and, and this is the this is one of the things because as as you know i teach hypnosis and one of the things I always talk about is when when you teach people hypnosis, you're you're waking them up. NLP yeah. and hypnosis, you're waking them up to become aware because um, you know, it's like I don't watch TV anymore. Yes, I probably I'm on social media probably more than what I need to be, but I don't watch TV anymore. And I and I believe it's called TV programming for a reason because yeah. when people sit there and watch it, they they are in a trance. Yeah. And when you're in a trance, you take all that stuff in at the unconscious level. 100%. And people are not aware of that, right? Like, 100%. Yeah. 
Um, no, hundred yeah, percent, yeah. and it's um, it's concerning because you know there's another bone of contention, and when I say this, it's with love and it's with respect for people that do this stuff because I know there's a lot of money to be made, um, and I know that a lot of people choose this to create a life of freedom, and, and I get it. But I'll tell you another thing that actually messes with the people's heads is affiliate marketing and the way that people, just normal people that watch all this social media stuff and get flooded with sponsored ad, ads and that, um, they, 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 they come across this magic pill. I'm going to get rich overnight, you know, high ticket products, this, or, or even lower ticket, whatever, all these things. And I sit there and, and people are literally just stuck in this vortex of going, well, that's where I should be in my life. Why aren't I there? That's rubbish. I'm, I'm a failure. That person's there. I should be here. And then you've got other influencers who um, pick a subject, let's say ADHD. And then they decide, apparently, that they've just graduated university with a PhD and they can teach you about ADHD. And it's, and it's absolute trash, a lot of it. And so then you're going off of that. And then there's even the other side of things where people are trying to get professional, and you'll appreciate this, self-development, right? And they're, um, so they pick like, all these different experts, like actual experts, I mean, you know, like doctors and whatever, but they follow too many people. So then they almost stuck in a cognitive dissonance um, of, of going, for instance, like in my field or in the specific area of our field that I like to be in, me and Jordan, you've got like, there's two main players, right? There's Dr. Jordan Pearson and then there's Dr. Gabor Mate. Yes. Of which who hate each other and have... Oh the literal opposite opinions about the same thing, but actually they're also talking the same about the same thing at the same time. So you listen to both and you'll get completely confused. Even to the point on a base level, people looking for all the self-development through say podcast shows and they're listening to four or five different podcast shows and they're actually getting flooded with things that are contradictory all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I find this, I speak with a lot of people that work with different coaches and business coaches and things like that. And, and people come and say, oh, well, this person did this and this person said that. And, and I, I think you just have to with anything, right? You've just got to, you, you've got to have the awareness of yourself and your own thoughts and your own, you know, what aligns with you, but you just take what works for you and leave the rest. You know, that's, that's the approach I think people need to, to know because nothing's, nothing's ever all right for one person. You know, no, like no, it's, it's not a it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, you know, it, and and as such, when you're trying to find what works for you, or you're trying to understand what your timeline is of where you should be in life, um, it doesn't mean that the person next to you is going to have the same thing. You know, like this toxic. Oh, gee, we're going off on rants here, but. <laughs> This so, is going to come back to how, how you got into it. Yeah, yeah, no, it will. Trust me. My brain will link it back. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, toxic positivity is, is something that no one talks about, but that's another thing about getting stuck in the good opinion of other people and, and, and watching too many things is like, because you decide, oh, I should be here because I'm watching this person there. That then transcends into your personal life with friends that actually are doing well. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm really well done, brother, whatever. And inside you're like, I hate them. I hate them. Why are they there? And you don't mean it, 
but you become triggered through your toxic positivity. And this is cognitive dissonance again. I'm pretending that I'm happy for this person, but because I'm not where I want to be, because I'm not telling the truth about where I should be, and I'm running some program in my head because I've watched some Muppet on Instagram saying that they've had a $100,000 month from doing X or Y. Yeah. Well, I can't be happy for my actual friend because I'm triggered by their success because I've been sitting in this pity bubble thinking the world owes me something. And guess what? The world owes you nothing. I literally did it with a client the other month who was addicted and going through whatever. He's come out of prison. And he's going on and on about like, you know, basically like the world owed him something. And I said to him, I said, brother, can you go and do me a favor and just grab that plate? He said, yeah, what do you want it for? So just grab me the plate. He grabbed it. I said, just hold it for a minute. Just feel that plate. And I said, have a look on it. What's on it? And he said, um, there's nothing on it. I said, that's correct. That's exactly what life owes you. Nothing. You want to you want to you want to feast on your dreams? Fill the plate, brother. Fill mm. the plate. You're owed nothing. Right? Yeah. But you can but you can have everything if you just get out of the story that you're owed something and then when things are wrong, thinking like who else would you like it to happen to? Oprah? Like it's happening to you because it's meant to happen to you. And guess what? 80% don't care it's you and 20% they don't even know and they don't, they don't really want to know. Like mm. people are trying to survive through the journey. Yeah. I, I always say, Danny, like when I'm working with my clients is that whatever's happened was meant to happen. How do we know? Because it did. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, that's, and that's it. And that's, and that anyway, so to, to link all that random segue, um, that whole thing we've just talked about, was the basis of my mindset and life um, during my teens and into my 20s, which is what was driving me to keep escaping my reality, even to a point when I look and reflect, all of the traveling I did, which was amazing and an amazing education and loved it, and even to the point traveling so much that I wanted to move to the other side of the world where I am now and live here. If I'm honest, right, Jordan Peterson has an amazing saying, if your life isn't what it could be, try telling the truth. And I sat mm. there, I've sat there with myself thinking about all of this stuff for a while. I don't regret a thing in my life, firstly. And secondly, all of the traveling I've done, I've literally traveled the world. I still think it was the best thing I did. However, when I look back at my patterns and I look back at the way I've behaved all through this time where I had all these mad experiences, right? The one thing was prevalent was that I kept falling back into the same behaviors with addiction and all of this other rubbish. Mm. Why do you reckon that is? And this is where I come up with the other dad, an epiphany. Please share. I have been traveling all my life. I've framed it as traveling when actually all I've been doing my whole life was running away from the one thing I can't escape, which was myself. Because mm. I didn't want to do the work and I didn't want to get still with myself and I didn't want to say to myself, I've got to start telling the truth. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's because I, I had this program running in my head 
that because we'd struggled as a family and, and, and I didn't want to see, you know, we struggled as a family and, and I didn't have a dad and all oh, woeful me and all of this absolute trash that I honestly was attracting energetic things from the universe or whatever you believe in God. There's something, whatever's controlling the shit show we're in, there's something that runs it, right? Let's Absolutely. just put it that way. Yeah. And, and, and so whatever it is, it, it's energy. We are all, I'm not going to get all too Joe Dispenza on you, but like we are all energy. Everything is energy. We love a bit of Joe Dispenza around yeah. here. So that's all good. Yeah. Okay. So, so everything is energy. So if I'm constantly putting out this energy that life's not fair, why does this always happen to me? Whatever. That's all I'm attracting back in. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, you know, you, you, you're only going to get the results that you keep putting in. Right. Like one thing I learned that I've always, it's always stayed with me since my time with, with Reg, my heart is um, what you don't know, you don't know will change everything. And there's things we didn't know that we now know. That's great. What about the things that we didn't know we didn't know that we still haven't figured out? Yeah, it's very Cartesian, bit of bit of quantum linguistics there for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so so anyway, that was my epiphany was um even though I don't regret anything and I'm now where I'm meant to be and all the things well, I, I have been running my whole life from the person I couldn't escape, which was me. Didn't matter where I yeah. went. And and that is that is the that is the truth, right? That's what people are doing in these addictions yeah like it's it's avoiding feelings it's avoiding you know feeling certain ways in in your body and and you know I think I I totally agree with you I I always come from the premise that life is happening for you not to you and and when you get that you can find the lessons right yeah but it's it's that's that's the important part so so where did where did this all kind of come together? Was there like was there a moment in time that you went right? I, I'm just yeah. changing this path now, or what happened? Well, so interestingly enough, uh, after y- younger years, when I came traveling around Australia and the world, and and I went home, I wanted to move back here, and so I went and got a, an apprenticeship uh, to become a plumber because I wanted to move back to Australia. It was the dream. That's all I wanted. So I was a mature, I was a mature apprentice at 22 on no money, trying to make this apprenticeship work, five-year apprenticeship. And um, I went after it. I got it done. And uh, uh, wanting to move here uh, through a skilled visa, migrate visa. And once I got qualified over the next year or so, I went to start doing that when I was 28 at this point. And uh, Julia Gillard got into power and took plumbing off the critical skills list. So that was it. It was taken yeah. away. So I'm like, oh, well, that was great. Now what? But I, I just started dating a girl uh, who is Australian herself. And, and, well, we'd already been together a year or so at this point. So we, we ended up moving to Edinburgh and spending some time there. And I worked to get a visa to move here through a de facto way instead. Um, so anyway, I, I moved here, right? Like I finally achieved a dream just before my 30th birthday, right? I landed in Adelaide. I had finally achieved a dream. I'm a very tenacious person. You can't stop me once I've decided something. It doesn't matter how many times I get knocked and how many years it may take. So I landed here with the dream. I've achieved the dream, right? Most people don't even get close to one of them. And I've already done a lot. And within six weeks, I turned it into a nightmare. And I tried crystal meth. For the first time mm. and 
it was just one of those drugs for one you just do not mess with um it can get you it will grab you i don't care anyone that says oh, i can just leave it to try and leave it nah if you're honest at some point it's got everybody in some ways but for me I had a lot of things going on when I first moved here. I'd kind of been given this group of people because of the partner I was with at the time. Um, I was struggling to fit in. I thought Australia and Britain were the same. It's got nothing like the same. The cultures are so different. Um, the men that I grew up with were very emotional and intelligent. The group of men and men I was meeting when I first moved here, not saying they're all like this, but the people I'd come across were, were very devoid of emotional intelligence. Um, they just cared about three things, the three F's, which was footy, fighting, and, you know, the other one, I won't say that word on here. Um, but that was the, that was the basis of the conversations. I think we could say fornication. That's allowed. I'll just do that. And that's it. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, so there, so straight off the bat, I'm disconnected from having a community even though so i'm literally in a community or in in, it with i'm surrounded by people i feel lonely all the time Mm. Uh, i then also find out that i can't do my plumbing here unless i retrain even though it's ridiculous because i know exactly what i'm doing which was another seven eight grand so i refuse to do that out of pure stubbornness so i end up getting a job for a blue chip company in adelaide removing asbestos which is a very dangerous job it's also a, a very um unstimulating job for me at least and it was surrounded by people using crack oh sorry crystal meth Mm. um and there was see listen the most important thing to understand with this story is the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety the opposite of addiction is connection and i was i was disconnected from everything right like Um, and, and so, so the addiction plus the fact that I have, I'm quite hyperactive. Let's call it that. My brain is, is very unique and neurodiverse in its certain way. It's labeled ADHD. I've never had a diagnosis by a Western doctor, but that's what I've been told by people in the industry that are psychologists just, just by working next to them, like not going to see them. But technically if, if that is correct and, it would appear that my behaviors would correlate with ADHD. Then taking crystal meth is just an illegal version of the medication you would be given to control your feelings, emotions, and reactions and responses. Yeah. So basically it made me really good at taking meth. Because what, uh, what is it, Ritalin or something they give? Yeah, yeah. So Ritalin is, the, Ritalin is meth. Yeah. yeah. Dexamphetamines or Ritalin is just meth legal. Mm. Um. So I was kind of really good at it, if that makes sense when I say that. Like, I could do it. I could function. I could go to work. Like, it just – it didn't affect me like all these rubbish adverts you see and, you know, he, he assaults all the hospital staff and all this fear-mongering that the government made. It's actually completely untrue. You can check the statistics that I'm about to drop. The The majority of people addicted to crystal meth are actually more the victims than the perpetrators of violent and domestic violent acts. That's the truth. Right. Wow. So, uh, but we've been framed in another way by media. So that's what it is. You know, I'm not going to go into that Tim four hat stuff. I'm just saying that that's the truth. Mm. And I, and I've worked in the field specifically with that drug. And I'll tell you now it's, it's very, it's actually very true. So anyway, 
the uh, the meth addiction went through the roof. Uh, it started off like for fun. It was like once every like a, like a bender every kind of maybe every couple of weekends. Let's say two three weekends. Like it would be like a you know Friday night to Sunday afternoon job. Then it was like every other weekend. Right, it's just creeping. Right, just it's what it does, man. It just creeps. Yeah. So then it's every other weekend, right? And then it's like, and it's creeped again. It's like every weekend. And then it's like every weekend plus a little bit left Monday morning so I can get through work that day. Yeah. So at this, at this point, it's finally balanced. I'm working with this blue chip company who do a lot of away work. They're sending me all over the country. I'm working for uh, this massive global oil company in a city in the country. I have to be careful. I'll just be a bit careful with all of the things. So I'm working with this massive company uh, through this other blue chip company that I'm working for. And we're doing this thing in a city in this in the country here. And I'm using meth and I'm actually in charge of the safety as well as doing all the removal stuff, um, which sounds absolutely ridiculous now I think about it. But I said I was highly functioning. I actually took yeah. safety very seriously. I was even at the headquarters of this particular massive place doing monthly safety chats like and I'd be in the toilet, like twirling meth, yeah. and then going to talk about safety on sites. Well, just- and I, and I think I just want to I just want to make a point on that, Danny, because you know some people might be going, "Oh my god, like that's just so insane and dangerous." But like I I know for a fact, like I like I said, I've been around that kind of um, area as well, and the, the amount of people who are like regular people with regular jobs. Yeah. with houses and mortgages and families and all kinds of stuff who yeah. are doing the exact same thing would 100%. people's minds. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. And I I guess getting to the, the, the pinnacle of your moment in time question, so basically uh, I come out of my room one day to start getting ready for work and um, the TV's on and the other blokes there are getting ready. And I'm making the coffee before going to work one morning in this other city while I'm working away. And next thing, this international news report is, is on the TV on whatever it is, Seven Sunrise, whatever. And it's talking about this murder on a houseboat in Kashmir in India and then says this name. And my brain's like, no, that can't be Sarah. Like, I can't be Sarah Groves, my Sarah. And then, like, I look up, there's a body bag being carried out of this floating hotel thing, and then her picture flashes up. And, I, man, I don't really know or remember exactly what happened, but it's as if, like, I left this world. I, 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 it made no sense that next hour. But from that point when I found out wow. my friend had been murdered brutally, and I mean brutally, like, you don't even understand she was the shining light of this universe like the world needed her and I don't know why mm. but it was taken away anyway from that point there um it just that was it I already had the vessel to escape the pain uh, I'd already prepped it and primed the pump I'd already been doing it for x amount so from that point there it just went to a daily hourly habit to avoid having to feel anything because that's what ice does. It freezes your emotions and everything about you. And yeah, it just got out of control from there. And long story short, um, 
the family of Sarah opened a uh, foundation in her memory and to launch the foundation a year after her murder or a little bit after a year because her murder was in April 2013, so in August or September 2014, to launch foundation, they had uh, found out a load of us who would like to be a part of it and raise money. Um, we were going to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, which is like the biggest freestanding mountain in the world. It's, it's hectic. And I'm, yeah. addicted to, I'm addicted to math. I'm four years in. And we're meant to be climbing Kilimanjaro. I'm meant to be raising money and all of these things. Everyone else is training and doing all this stuff. And I'm just smoking bongs, twirling meth, and trying to barely survive. And uh, I, th this certain situation reached a peak with my ex-partner I'd moved here with. And anyway, she went off and decided to be with someone else when we were together and this this chain of events happened anyway and i called up a mate that i knew like one person i really had that was my own friend i'd made and, and he was living in alice springs and i told him what happened and it was uh this was in april or may may and i was meant to be going to africa in august and i called him up and i said look mate this is what's happened and i don't know what to do and he gave he said i'll call you back in an hour and he basically called me back and he said go and get yourself an abn get a flight to Alice, come stay with my family for free, get yourself back on your feet and ready for Africa. And I didn't even think twice. I left everything I owned and just went, well, keep it all, I don't care. And I got on a plane and i never forget on the January, the 6th, yeah, 6th of January, 2014, Indigenous Round Day, Melbourne Demons versus Port Adelaide at Traeger Park in Alice Springs. They play it every year. They play a game of the AFL in Alice Springs. I landed in Alice Springs. And the reason that there's a, there's a reason behind why that's important, the indigenous round day thing. I landed there and I spent the next couple of months trying to get myself together. I'm not going to lie. Like I still lapsed a few times. I gets on this plane to Africa. I actually used the night before. I land in Africa. There's a long story behind it, but anyway, I meet the team. And there's like 28 or 29 of us from all over the world coming to Sarah's friends and family. Her dad climbed with me. He was 70 at the time. Wow. And we go about doing this, you know, eight day, seven night trek. I think it is up Kilimanjaro. It's not for the faint heart. It's hectic. And I'm like, you know, I haven't done any training. I'm meth addicted and been punching bongs for fun and drinking and carrying on. And it was really amazing because they recreated, Sarah had climbed the mountain a year previous to raise money for Child Reach International and then used the money to go and help build this stuff in a school, local school in Tanzania. So her family had somehow miraculously managed to gather up nearly all of the same guides and some of the same porters from her exact climb to do our climb as a group. So we go and do this climb, a day and a half from the Incredible. top. Yeah, a day and a half from the top, I ruptured my ACL. Um, I still made it up. We got to the top. Funny story. At the top, most people suffer with altitude sickness. Some can't even get to the peak peak because <coughs> it makes you really sick. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I had no issue because right. my, my lungs were used to having no oxygen or minimal oxygen because of my addictions. So I ended up being a good thing in a bad way 
So, so I'm up the top. Most people are getting delirious, and I'm just like, oh, I feel fine. It's like, oh, I know. Scientifically, that would make sense. I, my lungs have been so starved of proper oxygen without substance going through them. Anyway, mm-hmm. at, the, at the peak, um, we actually scattered Sarah's ashes at the top of Kilimanjaro. And at that, at that point, that was my moment in time. I looked out over the vast plains of Africa. I'm surrounded by glaciers all behind me at the peak. <clears throat> I'm looking out. Sun's just risen. Scattered the ashes of my friend. And I remember just looking out and saying, I've even got a video of myself, just filming myself, just said, I've got to leave it all up here. Sarah, I've got to let this stuff go. I've got to let my whole story go. And I left Africa and I came back. Uh... Flew back into Adelaide, collected a few of my belongings, left the rest to my ex-partner at this point now. Got into a Holden over 1990, clapped out banger, and I drove to Alice Springs to live there now instead of just going there for that visit. Yeah. And, and uh, within a couple of weeks of being there and working back with my mate in the blue-collar job, said, I want to do this. <clears throat> I want to help people. And I said to my mama. I want to do something different. She said, son, if you want to see a change, you've got to be the change. Mm. So if you want to go yeah. and do something about it, go do something about it. Life, life is not a dress rehearsal and you only get yeah. one ta- you only get one take in the, in the movie of your life. There's no cuts or edits. So I suggest you go and do something about it. If that's what means something to you. And I'm very lust. I'm very blessed. I've had a mother that has never told me what to do. <coughs> never imparted her values on me. Let me decide my own life, my own values and what matters to me. And I went and got a job. Well, I went and got an interview in, in a rehab. Probably should have just gone in one, but I went and got an interview in a rehab. And the people that interviewed me even said, what are you doing here? Your resume makes no sense to why you're applying. And I said to them, um, I'm going to change the world. And I could do it with you or without you but I prefer to do it with you. I said, I'm two months clean off crystal meth and I, I can do this if you just give me the chance. And they literally burst out laughing and said, you're all right in the head, bro. Like you, you're just clean off meth and you want to come and help people in a rehab. Like you probably should be in here. Anyway, long story short, they gave me the chance and I took that chance and I worked my ass off and I got I worked tirelessly day and night to get some sort of qualifications because back then lived experience was not accepted in the, in the industry, but yeah, I always share my story to try and help people believe in theirs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, within 18 months of, of, of working in that rehab, they offered me the chance to open my own crystal meth program out in the community, uh, which was, that's that's incredible, Danny. And, And, you know, I, I think that there's something really, really important um, what you shared there in that, you know, I I work a lot with people who are wanting to start coaching or start helping people in some kind of aspect. And, you know, I even know from my own perspective, um, when I first did my coaching certification, my NLP practitioner training, my uh, really good friend at the time who I used to go out partying with all the time kind of looked at me and said, are you going to be like a life coach or something? <laughs> and it was a joke, right? Because it's like, <coughs> who, who am I to be coaching anyone? Yeah. You know, I, and, and it's a really common thing that comes up 
for people, right? Like they go, well, who am I to be able to help help someone, right? And I and I think it's a really important point that you've just shared about where you, you were like two months clean off of meth yourself, but you still believed you could help people and yep. stepped up to do that, right? Like I think people need to hear that stuff because yep. it doesn't matter where you've been. It's nope. where are you now and what do you want to do? How do you want to help people? Yeah, I think it's important to understand it doesn't matter where you've been, it's where you're going, right? Yeah. And, and, and and there's always treasure in the tragedy. Like, this isn't random. All this stuff that happens to people, like, it's not random that, that the universe or life has decided to hand you these set of cards. Like, it's yeah. preparing you for what you've been asking for. Yeah. But are, are you prepared to deal with the bits in between that forges you to become the person you want to become because you don't just get to, it's, it doesn't work like that. You don't get to see at the big table with the dreams that you have by the work you don't do. Yeah. I, I, and I think that that's the thing, right? Like you learn so much more through going through your own experiences, whatever they may be and coming out the other side that equips you with the tools to help others than if you just go and do it. 100%. University degree or something, right? Like- 100%, 100%. Like, do you know the amount of people in the industry I've worked in that basically have no life experience but have all of the uni degrees? You know, it's funny, funny little story for anybody actually that might, that might be able to use this in their own way. So lived experience was not accepted when I was going through my career up in the territory. So... When I used to go and speak at conferences or whatever, I'd get almost like, you know, when you watch the politicians in parliament and they like boo and jeer each other. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not anyway. even childish. It's pathetic. Yeah. But so that's what I would get sometimes in these conferences from psychologists and that mm. psychiatrists and, and, and people of, of a educational ilk that seem to believe that they're above most people. So I remember at one point just stopping and, 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 and picking this particular person out. And I said, brother, can you, can you just for a minute tell me what it is you do? And he said, oh, me? I said, yeah, you, the bloke that's making all the noise at me while I'm trying to have 10 minutes of everyone's time. Please tell me what you do and why it is you feel that you have this thing to say over what I'm trying to share. Hmm. So oh, I'm a I'm a psych, psych, psychotherapist and psychologist. I said, okay. And where did you study your psychotherapy and psychology? And I think he said Port Macquarie. Just I, I think. I said, okay. Would you say that, given the chance and the right uh, willpower and want to do it, that anybody could study? psychology and get the degree and he's like oh well you know you'd have to i said forget about all of that if someone wants to do it and has to tick a few boxes to get entry in can anybody learn psychology like could i go and learn psychology i've got a cert for in community services and i'm doing my diploma in aod and mental health dual diplomas that's like a way in so could i go and learn what you know and he said, well, technically, yes, you'd have to pass the exam. I said, yeah, but I can do it. Yeah. He said, yes. Okay. But you 
will never, and I mean never, know what I know. You'll never learn what I've learned. You mm. wouldn't last an inch, let alone a mile in my shoes. But I can learn everything you know. So why don't you have some respect and understand you? that you can't be in my world and you'd ne- you wouldn't last. But I can be in your world at any time I choose to go after a PhD if I really want. I just yeah. choose not to. And hey, I, I, and I just want to say, you know, I don't, we, we don't have anything against psychologists or no, no, anyone not else at all. like that. that not everyone does some amazing stuff. But you do see some kind of, um, I guess, almost discrimination or, or you know, that kind not, of. Not anymore. So, not anymore. Used yeah. to be. Used to be. Now yeah, lived yeah. experience is an embraced thing in the industry, which is amazing. And so psychologists, psychiatrists and all of those types um, of highly professionally skilled and trained people understand the benefits now. But in 2014, yeah. it just was not understood. And and I think that's the important thing, though, right? It's like it's not saying one is better than the other. It's no, just no. like it's there's a crossover. And yeah. and it's just it's just really appreciating the the benefits um, all around. Like how can we all support each other in yeah. serving better, a, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. And so it's something to, to remember. If you're... If you know you have something inside of you, you, you've got this innate thing in you, you know you've been put here for a purpose, you feel your why, you've been through sexual abuse or toxic relationships, abusive relationships, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, um, you know, psychosis, whatever it is, right? And you've come out the other end of it, that's your why. That's exactly why you were put here. If you survived it, make it. You make your survival story someone else's toolkit and go out there and don't worry about being ready or having the right tools or having the right. Just show up in the arena of life with the dream. It doesn't matter if you have the investment. It doesn't matter if you have the money. It doesn't matter if you have the education. Show up with the dream and you will inspire people with the resources. And all of a sudden, people just keep start showing up and going, can I help you? And I'm telling you now, that's what's happened to me most of my life. I just showed up with the dream. I didn't have a clue. Imperfect action. Just mm. do it. What have yeah. you got to lose? What have you got? Seriously, like you could have the dream, the life you've always wanted to have by taking a risk, or you could not take any risks and sit in the life you don't want to be living in anyway. Well, you've got nothing to lose yeah. and everything to gain. I always say that you go out to the age 90, right, and you look back at your life, you know, you're not going to sit there and go, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that I played it safe and, no, you know. Exactly. And, 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 and that, that's, the, that's the problem, right? We, yeah. we get stuck in this. We get stuck in the goop, right? We get mm. stuck in the good opinions of other people and worry and make sure everyone likes us. And we start buying things that we can't afford to impress people we don't even like to try and fit into a world that we don't belong in because – you know, we're different and we have something innately in us that we are aligned with and we keep ignoring because we think we just have to fit in. And, and, and I implore anybody that, that, that watches this to, 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 if your life isn't where it could be or should be, start telling the truth. Sit there, sit still with yourself on the bed at the end of a day and look at yourself in the mirror for five minutes and say to yourself, if I was to die or lose my life tomorrow, am I happy with what I'm about to go and do today? 
And if the answer is no for more than seven or eight days in a row, change it. Do something about it, yeah. yeah you, you don't have to stay doing what you do. Like take a risk um, and don't look at it as a risk. Look at it as a reward. Because yeah. even if, like, so you could have a goal, a dream, and you could go after it, right? And you may not achieve it, but it's who you become in the process that's actually the reward. Even if you don't get there, it's who you become in the process of failing it or succeeding that is the reward from it. If you pull it off, great. Aim for the, shoot for the stars, and if you miss, you land on the moon, right? It's a cliche, but it's the truth. But mm. it's just focusing on understanding that you, who you become in the process is where the magic is. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. I think that, you know, that's the whole thing. I think it's with any kind of a goal, anything that you want to achieve, it's not about what you're going to get. It's who are you going to become so that that is your reality. Yeah. I mean, look at this. Like I land in Alice Springs. I'm a meth addict, right? I leave eight years later. We opened a program that became nationally syndicated and understood. I met the prime minister of the country, Malcolm Turnbull, one-to-one basis and was calling me on my phone like Malcolm Turnbull right we changed legislations oh mates we got we got written into labor for drug reform policies in Victoria who wanted to replicate our program we changed the way that the community thought about stigma we changed the way the criminal justice system understood addiction right like to the point the parole board were even asking our advice on what we should do with xyz prisoner right But the most important thing is that we changed lives on a daily basis that thought they couldn't be changed. Anyone that we worked inside with violent offenders, men and women inside prisons that we literally could change overnight because thugs need hugs. Thugs need hugs. Now there's a, there's a quote. Thugs need hugs. But I think, you know, jokes aside, it, it is, it just comes back to that connection though, right? Yes, 100%, right? Like I used yeah. to go in there and see very violent gang members and that, and the first thing I would do every time i go and see them is, well, break all prison protocol, and I'd give them a hug and I'd tell them I love them and I'd, I'd get them to sit down and I'd be say, I used to say to them, all right, tell me what's the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a way of framing them, right? Tell me the mm. good, the bad, the ugly, and then let's break that down and let's shatter those paradigms. Let's move it forward. And then I teach yeah. them how to change their language. I completely broke all the rules. Everything I was taught in my, my professional qualifications, I did the opposite of, and it worked. I'm not saying that I didn't use some of it. I'm just saying it's so outdated that a lot of it needed to change, which is what led me into the coaching stuff and the holistic practices that I've learned of all manners and, and, and shapes and sizes um, uh, because it matters too. And, it, you know, at the end of this, 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 this renaissance of, of whatever the hell that was, I, I leave Adelaide addicted to meth and I return from Adelaide, changing my whole career, my whole life. The amount of random things that I did up there outside of the meth program, I, I decided to become a hip hop artist after writing for years and doing nothing with it, released albums, toured with bloody supported T-Pain and all this madness. Um, there's so many other random things that I, I did in, uh, up there. And when I left, they named the building after me, like uh, in recognition for the work we did up there. Uh, mm. And I remember that day when I left, like 
I didn't, I was just blown away that that could even happen to me because I'd still at this point leaving there, moving here, didn't think I deserved this. Full imposter syndrome carry on, like full triggered. Anytime I would, my mum used to say it to me, bless her, she'd be like, even the, the Kilimanjaro climb, she's like, why can you just not ever celebrate anything you do? You just, you shoo it away. And I, whatever, let's go. Even with the math program with me and my two team members, one of which is now my business partner, Jordan Lockerbie and Dion for Matu, every time we'd achieve something great and everyone's like pumped, I'm like, yeah, all good. What's next? How do we go from here up? Where do we go next? Now, yes, partly because I was driven to the next level because I wanted to keep leveling up to help people, but partly that was a full imposter syndrome behavior of going, I don't want to celebrate or sit in any of this. I don't want mm. any of the recognition, right? Yeah. And, and that has been, that's plagued me for most of my life, that imposter syndrome. And just lean into some success, Danny. Like, you work your ass off, like, why can't you just accept the good things that you've worked hard for? Why can't you just take a little bit of positive um, praise? And, and for some reason, it was always like someone's going to, you know, I, my brain would literally, I'd get given something positive, some amazing stuff, and my brain would go, they're going to find you out. You're a phony. Mm. You're a fake. They know that you're a fake. Like, they're going to find out that all of this is a lie. And I'm sitting there going, this makes no sense because there's an actual, the, the, the plaques on the building and you know what you did, you yeah. lived it. You know, like it was not an easy program that we went through. We were an outreach program. We weren't in a rehab. We were working with active crystal meth addiction in the community, in Aboriginal communities and white communities and eth other ethnic communities. I was having bloody Knives pulled on me and threats made on me. I uncovered a corrupt cop, which nearly put me in prison. Like, there was all manners of chaos. I know what I lived through because I lived through it. And still, yeah. here I am at the end of it with a building plaque being unveiled. And my brain's going, they're going to find out you're a liar. You know, they're going to know it. And I'm like, this is ridiculous but that that is that's the thing with imposter syndrome right and I'm sure you know that the amount of coaches that I've worked with that have that have ex said the same kind of thing and I I know I've experienced it as well and I what well, I heard something just recently where um I was watching this presentation and this guy goes you know imposter syndrome is just a sign that you're growing right yeah. because what you're doing is um is expanded beyond who you believe yourself to be or who you've known yourself to be right so yep. it's a sign that you're growing and I think that's a really important thing it's a it's a really good just shift in perspective it's like yeah of course you can feel uncomfortable but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing right no it, it doesn't it's the same as when you finally understand I think it correlates actually once you start getting away slowly from imposter syndrome I think what else also can occur is you start finding healthy boundaries, especially with other people in your life, and then you reaffirm them sometimes. And then you see when you reaffirm them or you start finding that you can't deal with certain people's energy anymore that have been in your life a long time and you step away from them and you see that how you feel anxious and you feel rubbish about it, that means you made the right decision. Mm. The, minute, the, minute, the minute that you make decisions in your life to step away from people that are inhibiting your growth and it feels rubbish, 
that's exactly how it should feel. And that means you did the right thing. If you are making decisions around people that, that feel right, you're doing the wrong thing. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting little twist. I'm gonna I'm gonna ponder that for a little bit. You, you um, know what I mean? Like that's yeah. not like that's not like a every single thing. But I'm saying if you are doing like so, imposter syndrome, people pleasing, same thing, right? It's the same. It's like a, a, a it's in the a, same kind of like thing. a conglomerate of of rubbish. And like I feel that when you are trying to do the goop thing, you know, the good opinion of other people thing, and you are doing whatever to keep people happy and so you make a decision right and it feels so then it feels like unanxious from making the decision but after the fact you feel crap like a few days later because of the way you treated that means you made the wrong decision because the initial feeling felt good but if you make the right decision and walk away from x person and feel rubbish on the spot you've made the right decision Mm, mm, yeah Interesting. I think there can be all kinds of interesting dynamics in there and, and attachments and, and yeah. like frame of reference and, um, you know, all those kinds of things, because it is often when, you know, you're in a, some kind of relationship, friendship, uh, you know, you've got this kind of shared model of the world. And if you step out yeah. to do something else, it upsets that, right? Um, yeah. And, and do, you know, do, often for the other person, especially. And just as a disclaimer, like everything that I'm saying here today that's outside of the addiction stuff, like, I, like I'm not saying that, that that's just my truth. Like I'm yeah. not like please anybody, like, just don't get triggered and start flipping out. I'm not saying I know everything. Don't start writing in. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just saying this has been my model of the world and experience and the things I've gone through to get to who I am today and what I've learned through that. Yeah. I'm just imparting that from me and it will resonate with some people that are very much like my personality type. And so that's great. Yeah. Anybody that, that's sitting there and it doesn't resonate with, I'm not saying that this is the, the truth. This is just yeah. what I've learned and my truth. You don't have to believe it. That's yeah. one of the things I always find I say to people, if, I, if I'm sharing something and, and they don't agree, I'm like, it's okay, you don't have to believe it. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just a theory. It's just, it's just a viewpoint. It's a perspective, and, it, and it's yeah. something that I've learned and I've framed in the way I've just shared. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things that I really um, admired in you, Danny. From you know, from the first time we met, is that you do share very vulnerably, and and you know, you're very open. And I think these days, people are often so scared to voice their opinions for fear of, you know, upsetting someone or offending someone or being told that that's not right or, or all those kinds of things. And so, you know, good on you, I think. Well, so it's really interesting uh, on, on what you've just said there. I make it very simple to understand. Um, my, the one person in my life in, in my past many, many years ago that I, 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 I had a relationship with um, who I'm still very close to, probably was my only true love when I really look back on the last 40 years. She was watching my podcast uh, show the other month and she messaged me, and this is probably encapsulates just what you said. She said, when did you get so wise? And I said, by doing a lot of stupid shit. <laughs> so that's basically yeah. it. Like anything that learning. I can share now is because I've been the opposite most of my life. Yeah, yeah, right? and, and that's and that's why 
you know, I'm very passionate now about the kind of things that me and you in our separate businesses do in the same way to help others through hypnotherapy, NLP, timeline therapies and holistic practices is that the only reason that I sit here now as a complete version of myself and standing in my truth and not caring about being stuck in the goop anymore is because of these tools that, that were given to me through my own mentor and trainer, uh, 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 Reg Mahata. And, and, and He's a, he is a great trainer as well. I know, Reg. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done, I've been at some courses. We've both attended courses together and he's, he's one of the good guys as well, doing some great stuff. Yeah, he, he is. And, and so by going into that, uh, really just for my own personal development, I came out of it um, finally now leveled out uh, by being passionate about what I learned to help myself to now use to help others. Unfortunately, when I first come out of it, because the bloody social media algorithms pick up that you've done things like this and you're looking at other people that now do these things, I actually walked out of the courses with Reg and, and, and completely got lost for a bit there in the coaching industry, um, forgetting that I only went in that just for me. And then I end up getting stuck in this kind of like tumble dryer of all of this stuff that's out there that isn't always aligned with me, certain things. Uh, just trying to be diplomatic here. There's, there's just some, not everybody is maybe doing the correct practices around this stuff uh, for my alignment. Uh, maybe some of it's just driven only by financial gain and some people get into it for different reasons and, and some people just use it for sales. And that's cool as well. But mm. for me, but for me, I got really, I got pulled back in in a weird way because I obviously hadn't learned everything the universe was trying to teach me yet. So you always have everything is repeated to you until you learn. That's yeah. how it works. It's not for, do you know, the, here's, there's one word in the dictionary that needs to be eradicated and deleted. The word fair. There is no such thing as fair in the world. There's just life. Yeah, fair. there just is. There just is, right? There's no good. There's no bad. There just is. It's just, it's just perception. It's, there's no fair or unfair. It's just life, all right? Yeah. Get, get used to it. Life's going to catch you on the blind side. And when it does, it's because you still haven't learned a lesson, so it keeps repeating it until you do. Mm. And, so, and so the imposter syndrome and generally – um, people pleasing and, and looking too far into the future or looking back at the past started to become prevalent after my breakthroughs a little while later because I kept it stuck online and going off and thinking, oh, I'll employ this coach now to help me with my coaching business. And, and it was just all rubbish and, yeah. and just snake oil and just stuff being sold to me and I was buying into it. But I was getting stuck in the same imposter syndrome stuff in a different way. And so, because the universe has said, so you went to see the right person to get the right help for you, and you've come out of it going off thinking you're going to think it was for other people. So now I'm going to have to teach you again that that was for you. So I've only just now recentered. <laughs> Luckily enough, through this whole journey after but coming out of the academy, Reg stayed in touch and kept trying to kick my ass back into shape because I kept getting tumble dried. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's a, that's a really good point, Danny, because, um, you know, I know as having a coaching business, and this is something that I experienced for myself as well, is that 
It's one thing to work on yourself, right? That's great. It's another thing to be able to help other people in a really powerful way. That's great. Having a business and growing a business and getting your head around sales and marketing and everything that goes with a business is another whole shebang, yeah. right? And and that's the thing. And I, I'm really passionate about helping people with now because you're right, there's lots of stuff out there. And like, I think, you know, some if some works for some people, some doesn't work for other people. And it's about finding, you know, who's right for you. But, um, you know, I think if if we could wrap this up, Daphne, well, actually, just just quickly, because I know we've covered a lot of stuff here today, and I really appreciate you sharing this because, you know, there's it's there's so much to, you know, appreciate from where you've come from and, and what you've done and all the years you've spent working in the, you know, addiction space. Um, so what was it? It was about seven or eight years you spent clinically up, up in the, yeah, up in the territory, just under eight years. But yeah. now, now, collectively, at this point, me and Jordan have both ticked over a decade each. So it's twenty okay. years' experience. Yeah, let's come together, and and you're here in Adelaide. And tell us, like, you know, how are you helping people now? Are you doing like one to one stuff? Are you running programs? Like, how do people work with you? Oh God, there's so many flywheels that I've got us involved in um, <laughs> for the business. But but look, um, the, the 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 initial business started off as a one to one, six month program, um, much preferably for people in Adelaide, men in Adelaide, face to face, because I love the energy exchange. But we do have yeah. client, clients online as well uh, around the world that do it with us. But yeah, like very different to to to, to a lot of coaching uh, models of kind of six, seven, eight weeks. Um, but yeah, we do kind of one-to-one, um, with, with, with men of all ages, teaching them to be honest, emotional intelligence, EQ. So we're EQ educators and that actually is what EQ educators and self-awareness, uh, advocates. And by doing that, the secondary functions of addictions and, and, and patterns just get dissolved. So we don't sit in the problem. We don't focus on the, on the, the problem for long. Uh, yeah. We just we just start working towards the the picture of the future and and understanding changing their language will change their life. That's basically yeah. it. So yeah, one to one private clients. We also now started working in the disability space with people that that that, that uh, haven't fallen victim to their disability physically um, or m- mentally and have big goals, but they need shifting their mindsets and beliefs. So we're working with a young man who's got massive goals to go to the Olympics and, and, and get professional contracts in, in, a, in a certain sport um, and wants to work on his mindset and belief around that, who's, who's, who's you know, in a wheelchair and whatever. So we, mm. we started venturing in basically into mindset on that side of it and disability. And then also we've got an online program we're developing, uh, which is kind of one-to-many. Um, which we'll be launching next year. And then on top of that, we're also uh, getting into the prison systems uh, over the coming six to 12 months uh, to be able to start working with hugely violent offenders. Uh, uh, Basically, you know, the best way I can frame it, if you're an underdog, then you're my person, you're my tribe. Anyone that's been forgotten about or, or written off or been told they can't do this because of that, that's my tribe. And yeah, all of all of the all of the worst case scenarios, according to you know, whatever system or, or, or thing, um, that's that's the people we we work with. I mean, I'm an I'm an indigo child. I'm against all of the the, the, the systems and, and frameworks. Uh, not in a tin hat yet again. Not tin for no, no, no. 
Yeah, but I, I think, you know, you are like the conversations we have, you know, I've I've been in this kind of coaching training space for, uh, what, seven, eight years now. And, and the conversations that we've had, I know like the stuff you're doing is incredible. And I think that um, if you know anyone who is struggling in this space, who needs some help, I, I 100% recommend go and chat to Danny and, and Jordan. And so, so I'll put all your details for the, uh, you know, how people can connect with you, um, you know, in the show notes. But essentially your website I know is uh, Inside Out Coaching uh, Consultancy. Is that right? Coaching, coachingandconsultancy.com. Inside that's, Out yeah, Coachingandconsultancy.com. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. The, right. most, the most important thing to, to remember is that addiction is just another chance to become successful. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Addiction is just another chance to become successful. Some of the most some of the most successful people on the planet were addicts. Robert Downey Jr. was in an orange jumpsuit eleven years ago, right? Yeah. Looking like he'd thrown everything away. He's now one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid actor in Hollywood, right? He was a heroin addict, all manners of things. Yeah, yeah. Actually, just you're not an addict; you're a late bloomer, and they late bloomer. some of the most successful. Yeah, yeah, it's just all part of the part of the process, part of the journey, right? Well, Danny Lloyd, I feel like we could keep talking for yep. a long, long time, but I really appreciate you coming here and then, you know, um, maybe we'll do another show some other time because I'm sure you've got loads more to share. And I'm, I, I really appreciate you and everything that you're doing in this space. It's so needed. Um, and, um, you know, I, however I can help you get out there and do more, I'm, I'm right behind you. So thank you for sharing your insights and your wisdom today. And uh, it's been a lot of fun and a real honour. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I look forward to seeing this amazing podcast just get bigger and better by the, uh, by the, by the guest, by the episode. So definitely be following along and watching all of the things. Fabulous. Thanks, Danny. Okay. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Circle. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Please like, share and subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with all our latest episodes. You, my friend, are awesome. So keep coaching and keep evolving.